All right, so in about, I don't know, about two hours, I'm not going to preach for two hours, don't worry. I know that's what y'all were thinking. In about two hours, we are headed out of town. We're going to go home after church, we're going to change clothes, we're going to hit the road, headed to, toward St. Louis, or more particularly Columbia, Missouri. But we're driving tonight from our house in Harvest to Mount Vernon, Illinois. And if you're as bad with directions as I am, you desperately need the navigation app on your phone, which I use relentlessly. I mean, I use even to places I've been to, you know, several times because I know I'm liable to miss a turn, make a wrong turn. I have no sense of direction. It's just that's the way I was born. But I already have the route in here. I mean, I, I plan ahead. I figure out which route I want to take, which one makes sense, which one is least likely to have traffic, that sort of thing. And, you know, sometimes that's not always the shortest route. Sometimes you go a few more miles and it actually is quicker because of the type of roads that you use. So right now it's looking like about five hours and five minutes, which is not going to happen because I have four kids. But if we don't stop, now what are some things that could cause that time to change? Traffic, yeah, traffic. Hopefully, construction, yeah. <laughs> Bathroom stops, and there will definitely be several of those, I'm sure. What's that? Weather? Hunger. We're going to eat on the way, but yes, there will, you know, somebody's going to want a snack somewhere. Yeah, we're, we're packing, I mean, we're even packing sandwiches. We're trying to get there quick. Heaven forbid, an accident. I mean, there's any number of things that could cause us to be delayed, and if it's bad enough and traffic is completely stopped, something else that's handy about this is I can go in and I can reroute and go around it. I don't want to have to do that. That would be unplanned, but it might be necessary. It could be, and I hope I'm not like jinxing myself or something today, But it could be that the trip I have planned could be much different by the end of the day, right? Because trips don't always go as planned. And I don't know about you, but I have found that more times than not, what I think I'm going to do for the Lord, or the way I think He is going to work in my life, turns out to be a whole lot different than the way I've got planned, And we're talking about making an impact for the Lord. We're in this series called Making an Impact for the for for in our world for the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to do. But in order to do that, we've got to be willing to submit to doing it, doing his will and doing it his way. And most of the time that's not gonna be the majority of the time, that's not gonna be the way that we have planned. And we're gonna see this illustrated extremely clearly in our passage today. Making an impact in your world. Well, how do we do that? Well, we focus on being faithful. Because we know if we are faithful, if we will focus on being faithful, we will leave a legacy in the Lord. So don't focus on leaving a legacy. Focus on being faithful to God and let Him take care of your legacy. If you do that, you will leave a legacy. You will make an impact in your world for the kingdom of God. As we saw, we looked at a couple of weeks ago... The Hebrew nation split as a result of Rehoboam's actions. We saw a split take place, a divided kingdom, two different kingdoms. And this was a very difficult time in the nation. 
a lot of turmoil going on, a lot of confusion, a lot of upheaval. And during this confusing time, what we see is that God works primarily through the prophets. And the prophet on the scene and the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at in 2 Kings chapter 5, the prophet on the scene during this time is the prophet Elisha. Now, Elisha was at odds with most of the rulers of his day, most of the people of his day, much like his mentor, Elijah. The one king that did favor or did somewhat like Elisha basically just tolerated his presence. But the thing about Elisha was he was a prophet of God. He had powers given to him by God. And so everybody pretty much left him alone out of fear more than anything else. But he wasn't very well liked. He wasn't very well respected by the kings of his time. And this brings us to the story that we're going to look at, the passage we're going to look at today about a man named Naaman. Of all of the people that Elisha had dealt with in his ministry, Naaman was different. No others were like him. And we see in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, The description of this man named Naaman. Naaman, a commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. So in just a couple of sentences here, we learn a lot about Naaman. He's an important guy. He's a warrior. He's a high-ranking soldier. He would be the equivalent of a four-star general today. He was well-respected. He commanded respect. He received respect. And he had the ear of the king uh, of Syria, King Ben-Hadad. He had his ear. He listened to him. So he was his trusted second-in-command, basically. I mean, he was an important guy and a well-respected guy. So it's safe to say that Elisha had not encountered anyone quite like this before a man of this, uh, a foreign person for one, but a man uh, of his stature. And from this story, we learn that this guy is important. This guy has a lot of power. He's got a lot of influence, but he's also got something else going on that is very serious and not good at all. He has leprosy. He has a skin disease. And leprosy in this day and time was used, the word was used to describe a lot of different skin diseases. But because of the fact that he's described as his skin being white, we can assume it was the really bad kind, okay? It was the kind that was a death sentence more than likely. And so with all of his power, with all of his influence, he still had this disease that was most likely going to end his life. And from this story, we will learn how we can be in a position to receive God's message, to follow God's will, and to do it his way. We're going to learn from Damon this morning. And the first lesson we learn is this, very simple. We need to learn to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. He can be found. If we are willing to seek him, if we are willing to come to him the right way through Jesus Christ... We can discover a relationship with God. Now, yes, God chooses us. We would not be saved if he had not initiated 
salvation. He does the work of salvation. He died on the cross. He was raised from the dead. Jesus was. But he invites us into a relationship with him, and we have to be willing to turn from our sin and turn to him. And then as believers, as those who are children of God, we have to seek him in our life. We have to seek his will. We have to pursue him through study of his word, through time alone with him. We have to seek the Lord if we're going to know his will and fulfill his purpose for our lives. Let's look at Isaiah. Before we get into our passage today, let's look at Isaiah chapter 55. I think this is an important foundation for our study today. Verse 1, we read in Isaiah, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without silver and without cost. Verse 3, same passage, pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindness of David. And then verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So a couple of things here first. The first thing we need to understand, Isaiah 55 is written to people who do not believe. Okay, That's the, the, the recipients, that's the audience, intended audience here are individuals who do not believe. And, and, and this includes this command to seek, seek the Lord while he may be found. It includes an invitation, a warning, and then two promises. So the invitation is to seek the Lord, to come to the Lord. God is inviting us to come to him. But then within that invitation or following that is a warning that whoever seeks the Lord has to abandon his current way of thinking, his current life, current sinfulness, and turn to God. He has to turn from the direction that he or she is going in and leave that behind and turn to the Lord. So there's the warning to abandon your current situation and to turn the warning to turn away from that and to turn to God. Because... If you don't do that, you miss out on the two blessings. You miss out on compassion and forgiveness. God's saying, I will give you compassion, I will give you forgiveness, and I will give it freely. I will give it generously. But you've got to turn from your sin, number one, and turn to me, number two. You don't have to fix yourself up. You don't have to clean yourself up. But you have to be willing to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness. That's the message of salvation. That, that, that Jesus died for our sins, he paid the price for our sins on the cross, he was raised from the dead three days later, defeating death so that we could defeat death by his power, by his sacrifice, his resurrection, but in order to receive that, we have to repent, we have to turn from sin and turn to God. That's the invitation, which means I'm giving up my way, my life, and receiving the life that he has for me, which includes the plan. Now, third, and particularly applicable today to the text today in Second Kings 5, don't overlook the fact that the Lord has a surprise in store for anyone who comes to him. 
It's his, again, generosity, his compassion, his forgiveness. He wants to bless those who come to him. Verse 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55 again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. In other words, what you have planned probably isn't going to match up with what I have planned, but I have a better plan for you. I have a plan that will result in you making an impact in this world, your, your eternal life, your salvation, but making an impact in this world for the kingdom of God. And your life investing in eternity. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. God delights in showing love and compassion to his children. He delights And allowing you to experience the plan that he has for you. He delights in sharing his forgiveness. And giving his forgiveness to those who turn to him for forgiveness. And what we learn from Isaiah and what we see today is that even though the plans he has may not match our plans. They are far greater than we could ever imagine. Because he's God. He knows all. He sees all. He created you. He knows what's best for you. Even if it includes discomfort in this life, eternally what he has for you is greater than anything you could cook up on your own. Anything you could achieve on your own. So we turn back to 2 Kings 5 verses 2 and 3 and we read this. Naaman's got a situation. He's got this skin disease. Verse 2, Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So a message from a young servant girl to Naaman's wife is how God chooses to move and work in these initial steps of drawing Naaman to himself. God's ways are fascinating. He works in mysterious ways that often don't make sense to us. That often are contrary to human reasoning. And and through the most unlikely methods, a servant girl that normally wouldn't have been paid attention to delivers this message through Naaman's wife for him to seek help. From the prophet, of course, being the prophet Elisha. Verse 6, again of Isaiah 55, look at that again. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. That's the invitation that Naaman is now receiving through from God through this servant girl. Naaman, if you will turn from your ways and go seek the Lord, you will find healing. You will be helped. This was Naaman's wake-up call. This is God tapping Naaman on the shoulder. <laughs> this is God intervening in his life through an unlikely source through unlikely, unexpected means. But it is the Lord beginning to work on Naaman's life to bring him to a point where he will offer him healing and give him cleansing. 
Naaman's attitude toward God any other day may have been just to dismiss God in any message from this servant. But on this particular day, something was very different, and we see it in his response. Naaman was in need, and only the Lord could help him. You get the idea, and again, I, you know, I'm imagining here, we don't know for sure, but I bet he had been to every healer available to him, every doctor that he could have seen. He had probably tried every method, attempt to cleanse himself of this disease or to have someone else do it. I mean, he was a wealthy guy. He was an important guy. He had a lot of resources at his disposal. I get in my mind the idea that Naaman probably had tried every avenue available to him and he had come up short every single time and he still had this death sentence that he was reminded of every time he looked at his skin. But here comes this servant girl. A message from the one and only true God, which Naaman didn't understand yet, but he knew that he couldn't help himself. He knew that no one else could. Maybe this God that this girl serves can help me. So he discovers, what he will discover is that that is absolutely the truth. But this story isn't without its setbacks, okay? Like most of our lives, there's some ups and downs with Naaman. On his journey toward belief, He makes a few mistakes, and we can learn from those mistakes as well. And we learn the lesson that it's important to when we seek God, we must follow his plan for our lives. Follow God's plan. Do it his way, his will, his way. Now look at how Naaman responds to the message from the servant girl. So Naaman went and he told his master what the girl from the the land of Israel said. King Benadad immediately writes a letter to the king of Israel asking for Naaman to be healed, to be able to see Elisha. And so this four-star general, this important guy, this influential guy, begins a desperate search for the prophet Elisha. The problem is, as we see as the the passage continues, his actions reflect the the thinking of a non-believer, which we shouldn't be surprised by. His actions reflect human reasoning, the thinking of someone who doesn't know the Lord. Look at verse 5 of 2 Kings chapter 5. Therefore, the king of Aram said, go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and he took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Hey, nothing's free, right? If I'm going to get this healing, I'm going to have to pay for it. This guy's going to want some serious money. That's his thinking, and and logical. I'm sure he had probably already paid a good bit to try to get healing. So, I mean, it's natural that he would think that. If I'm going to approach this guy, I better be ready to offer him something very valuable if I'm going to receive healing for this awful disease that I have. But this is Naaman's first mistake. Naaman thought he could buy his healing. You and I can't buy our healing. We can't buy forgiveness. There's nothing that we can do that will be good enough, and there's nothing that we have that's valuable enough to pay for our sin. We can't earn it. It's a gift. Only Jesus can pay for our sin, and he did on the cross. You and I can't buy it, but but it's tempting to think that way. People make this same mistake every day. If I give enough, if I'm good enough, If I go to church enough, if I follow enough rules, I'll get to the end of my life and God will add up the good and the bad and hopefully, 
I'll be good enough to get in. They're offered salvation. And there has to be more, right? There has to be something. I have to do something to earn it. Most people believe that the way you get to heaven is that you're good enough to get there, that at the end of your life, the good outweighs the bad, and I'll get in. That's, lo- that's human logic. That's thinking, because everything else we do in life, we have to earn. And so it's natural that he would think that way, but he's way off. Naaman's way off. The message of salvation is clear, for God so loved the world, his love, his holiness, his righteousness. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Jesus Christ. Our only responsibility is to turn from sin, turn to him. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The only thing we do is believe. There's plenty to be done after salvation to grow and become like Christ. Disciplines that we practice, obedience that we practice. But salvation is God. It is his work. It is his sacrifice. All I have to do is stop going this way and turn that way. And I receive the gift of salvation. I look, I seek the Lord and receive the gift that he gives me. I don't earn it. I don't buy it. I don't deserve it. It's all grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace that you've been saved. It's not of yourselves. It is God's gift. It's not from works so that no one can boast. I can't boast in my salvation. Jesus paid it all. He gave his life. He saved me from sin. He rescued me and gave me a new life. I don't deserve any credit for that. Because left to me, I would have kept going the way I was going. And ended in destruction. But Jesus saved me. And he offers that to anyone who will turn to him. Naaman's first mistake is he thought he could buy it. His second mistake, Naaman thought he would be healed by a mere human. This prophet's got special powers. The king can get it done. Look again at 2 Kings 5, verses 6 and 7. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, and and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? recognize that he's only picking a fight with me. Now, the letter from King Benadad was standard protocol. I mean, in, in pagan cultures, the priests that exist kept people mystified. They answered to the king, and, and the king was considered a, an extension of the deity itself. Okay? He was considered a god himself in many respects. So Naaman expects that the king can get this done. And if he is a God himself, he can order it. He uses Elisha, fine, but if he orders it, it'll happen. I mean, Benadad thought the same thing. It was natural for them to think that. It was natural for him to send this letter. It's it's logical, but now you've got to put yourself in the the shoes of of the king of Israel. It's also natural for him to think that Benadad's picking a fight with him because he knows he can't do this. (laughs) He's not God. He can't order this. I mean, God will do this if he chooses. Through Elisha. But don't forget Isaiah 55, 3. Verse, and verse 6. Pay attention and come to me, God says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he's near. The Bible never says 
seek my prophet and let him heal you. The Bible never says, call on my priests while they may be found. God says, seek me. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on me while there's still time. Receive forgiveness from me. Receive healing from me. That's what God says. He doesn't say, go through a human. He says, go to him. Now, certainly he used priests in the Old Testament as intermediaries between the people and himself. But he still did all the work. He used prophets to heal and to perform miracles. But it was God doing the work. He was performing the miracles. And now in the New Testament under the New Covenant, we we don't even have to go through a priest. We are priests. The priesthood of the believer. We have direct access to God. We can go to him and find healing and forgiveness and strength and peace and purpose. He equips us with gifts and abilities to do the work and the strength to do the work that he calls us to do. We go directly to God. It's not a human. It is God. And we should never let anyone convince us otherwise. We have direct access to God. But the king of Israel was right to be afraid. He thought, Benadad's picking a fight here. Look at verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So we begin to see God at work in this, through this situation. God works in ways, again, that are mysterious to us and beyond our ability to understand. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. We can't understand on our own the mind of God. He gives us understanding and his wisdom and in his choosing, but we don't understand his ways. We don't understand his thoughts. And this was all a way, what we're seeing here is the beginning, that this is all a way for God to prepare Naaman to meet himself, to prepare Naaman to meet God. But we're not done yet. Naaman makes another error. Naaman comes with a list of his own expectations. He comes with a list of his own expectations. Look at verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. So Naaman hears this, and I can hear him. What? That's all? I mean, I came all this way. I brought all this money. And you're not even going to come out and talk to me? I'm an important guy. I've come to see you, which should make you feel important. (laughs) And you're just going to tell me to go take a bath? And I'm probably thinking, hey, I've tried that, and it didn't work. I mean, he brings all this stuff. He has all these expectations, and he doesn't even get to see Elisha face to face. He's thinking, at least have the respect to come out and see me. Show me respect here. I've come to you. You return the respect by seeing me face to face. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 11. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. The NASB says Naaman was furious. (laughs) He's expecting a show, a lot of drama, a lot of emotion, which all, you know, emotion has its place. But he's expecting this huge production 
this big fuss, this big deal to be made over him because, frankly, he's used to that in his life. And he, he expects for Elisha to act the same way, but that's not what he gets. So he's headed on his journey, and he has a detour here. He's got it all planned out in his mind. He thinks he knows exactly how this is going to happen, and Elisha throws him a curveball. Nope, that's not how this is work. This is going to work. It's not how God works. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. He's got a different plan here. He wants to do something greater in you than just healing you of this disease. And in order to do that, in order to experience that, you've got to do it his way. He has a different plan. But the truth is, Naaman wished to be treated like a great man who happened to be a leper, but Elisha treats him like a man who was a leper who just happened to be great. And the reality is that describes each and every one of us in this room. I mean, some some people in this world have a higher status than others. But if that's the case, we are all sinners saved by grace if you've experienced salvation. And if I achieve anything in this life, I'm a sinner who got allowed to be great or who allowed to do great things. I'm not a great person who's a sinner. I'm a sinner (laughs) corrupted by sin, saved by God's grace. And anything I do... I do because he blesses me with the ability to do it and gives me the privilege of experiencing his work and his glory. Naaman had to come to understand that. This was some, somewhat of a wake-up call for him, but he expected the cure to be elaborate. We see his reasoning here in verse 12. Aren't Abana and Farfar, the, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he left in rage. He's saying, if bathing's gonna, how I'm going to be healed, there's rivers at home that are a lot better than this measly little river right here. I'll just go home and bathe. If that's all this takes, I'm going home. In other words, I want to be cleansed, but I want to be cleansed on my terms. I want to do it my way. Not your way, my way. But remember Isaiah 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's path is different than what we think. His ways are beyond our comprehension. And when you're going through life and God says, hey, I know you think you need to go this way, but I need for you to go this way. We have to determine beforehand whether or not we're going to be willing to listen. There was an NCAA race back in 1993. It was a Division II track race. They were on a 6.2 mile race and they were following a predetermined course as you would imagine. And there's a group of runners on this course and they get about three quarters of the way through something like that. And one of the runners who's about, I don't know, middle of the pack realizes that the guys out front are missing their turn. They're going to get off course. And so he makes the right turn and yells for everybody else, which shows he's kind, right? He could have just gone the right way and left everybody in the dust. But he yells to everybody in the crowd, hey, you're going the wrong way. This is the course. And so he runs the right way. The majority of the pack goes the wrong way. And he had just a handful of people follow him. But he was correct. Everybody else was wrong. 
They went the long way, I mean the wrong way, which actually was shorter to the finish line, and they all finished before him, even though he went the right way. So the race is over. You would think they would make a correction, right? Well, the judges did something that astonished everybody. They decided to allow for the alternate route and declared that person the winner because the majority of the the pack went that direction. Is that not crazy? This guy was right. He came in like 123rd out of everybody. He was right. He went the right way. Everybody else went the wrong way. They were rewarded for it. He was not. I got news for you. In life, sometimes it's going to be that way. In this life. The pack may be going one way. God says go this way. They may seem to get rewarded for it. You may not in this life, but the rewards you will receive will last for eternity. The rewards of this life are temporary. God's path may be different. It may be filled with difficulty. You may get no recognition for being obedient. But if you are obedient, regardless of the earthly consequences that others bring on you, God will honor that. He sees your faithfulness. He sees your obedience. The question is, am I willing to follow God's path, even if it doesn't make sense, even if everybody else is going a different way, simply because His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His are far beyond anything I could ever imagine. And God, I truly, truly do trust in your will for my life. Naaman had a decision to make. Would he follow or not? But God's patient. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? God is patient and he's kind. And that's why we see Naaman allowed to experience God's faithfulness. Naaman certainly wasn't going to get what he expected. But what he doesn't know is that God is guiding him every step of the way here. First, God uses a servant girl, an unlikely source. Then he uses a pagan king. Then he uses Elisha, the king of Israel, then Elisha. And finally, he uses one of Naaman's own servants to keep him on the right path. Look at verse 13. But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when only he tells you wash and be clean? I'm being a little more smart-alecky in the way I read that. I'm, I'm imagining the servant was was very respectful, but basically what he's saying here is, are you crazy? You're willing to do this complicated thing, and Elisha says, all you got to do is go take a bath. Why aren't you willing to at least give it a try? This is a crossroads for Nathan, uh, Naaman here. It's a crossroads. He's got a decision to make. He can go back home and die from this disease, or he can choose to follow God's path. I see this all the time. People hear the gospel, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. No other paths to God. And they walk away going, there's got to be something else. Can't be that simple. There's got to be something more I have to do. What's the catch? I've had relatives 
respond that way. There's got to be something more. Because everything else in life we've got to earn. Most things. So Naaman's got a decision here. Is he going to try to do it his way? Or is he going to accept the simplicity of, this, of these instructions, of this command? But fortunately, Naaman's servants helped him come to his senses. He swallows his pride, and he follows Elisha's instructions. Look at verse 14. So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. An incredible miracle. An incredibly simple miracle, which really doesn't exist. But the simplicity of the instructions here, all he had to do. And here's the beautiful part of this whole thing on Elisha's part. Elisha arranges this whole thing. He doesn't even come out, remember. He's not anywhere near him. Elisha arranges this whole miracle so that the only person who could, the only one who could get the credit was God himself. Elisha's not putting himself out front. He's not drawing attention to himself. He wasn't even with Naaman when he bathed. He arranges the whole thing so it's evident that God is the one who did this. And this is where Naaman's journey, the climax. He does include enough instruction here. God included through Elisha enough instruction where Naaman had to obey. He had to dip in the water. He had to do it a certain number of times. He's not cleansing himself, but there is an obedience. There's obedience involved. I have to turn from my way, turn and do it God's way. Go turn toward God, be willing to follow his way. And that's how I receive salvation. That's how I receive forgiveness. That's how I receive blessing from God. And it's such an incredible display of God's invitation to man, his ways, his grace, all for his glory. And as Naaman's healed, only one deserves praise, the one and only true God. And some lessons for anybody. If you're here today and you are seeking cleansing, first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus and you're seeking forgiveness, there's some lessons here for you. If you are a child of God and you know you're living in sin, you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing, and you want cleansing, there's some lessons here. Anytime you find yourself in need of cleansing, Here are the lessons. First, you have to acknowledge your own sinful condition and recognize your need for cleansing. If I'm going to receive forgiveness, the first thing, the Holy Spirit brings me under conviction. He initiates it, but I have to agree with God about my sin. I have to acknowledge that I need to be forgiven. God tapped Naaman on the shoulder, and he whispered this truth into this little girl's ear, this servant's ear, but he was fully aware of his need. Before that ever happened. But he also had to be willing to listen to the truth. And we've got to be willing to hear the truth. And listen to the truth. In order to discover the path toward cleansing. God, he, he convicts us of sin. We understand, yes Lord, I need forgiveness. But then we've got to accept his path to that forgiveness. Through Christ alone. We've got to hear the truth. And believe the truth. Naaman had to follow God's way. He had to do it God's way. He had to be cleansed God's way. And in order to receive forgiveness, we've got to be willing to go through Christ 
to receive it from him. And we have to set aside our own agenda to follow God's ways. Any preconceived notions, any preconceived ideas we have about salvation or anything we do for the Lord in obedience to him as we walk with him, we have to set aside our own agenda. Set aside our own preconceived ideas because God's way is non-negotiable. Salvation, his plan, his purpose. Yeah, we can go our own way, but if we're going to follow the Lord, if we're going to fulfill his plan, we've got to do it his way. There is no such thing as partial obedience. There's obedience and disobedience. There is no in-between. And so we have to obey God. And then... Fourth, we have to obey God completely to receive his cleansing. Again, it's not about earning salvation here. Don't misunderstand. We can't. I've already established that. The Bible is clear about that. But I still have to obey to receive it. I've got to be willing to turn to forsake my sin and turn to God and obey him by receiving salvation through Christ alone. There's belief. There's repentance. It has to take place if I'm going to be cleansed. And as a believer, when God convicts me of sin, I've got to be willing to agree, yes, I've sinned, and I've got to seek forgiveness so that my relationship with him will be right and so that I can be used by him. When he calls me to action, to work, to serve for him, I've got to be willing to obey him completely and do it his way so that his will will be accomplished. And just as Naaman's leprosy was not cleansed by his own methods, or Elisha's for that matter, Salvation is not achieved by our own methods and works. We have to do it his way. Follow him. I, uh, I brought a couple of hard-boiled eggs with me. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure you're wondering why. You're going to find out in just a second. Um, so a hard-boiled egg, the shell, the outer, how would you describe the shell? Hard, okay, fragile, brittle, but some eggs, some are smooth, some are rough, right? But it's hard. It's a hard exterior. Now, we can all agree that any illustration for salvation is going to fall short, right? I mean, there's no way to properly illustrate salvation because it's a miracle. I mean, it's a work of God, but I'm going to See if I can help you understand a little bit what it, what it takes or what God does for us through salvation. You know, when we get started in life, we are born with a sin nature. We choose to sin. And the result of that is that our hearts are hardened, just like this shell. Now, there are any number of things that we do, you know, you, to sin that you can lie hard to ride on an egg. Have y'all ever tried? <laughs> Cheat. You can steal. You can disobey. Oh, that's a long word. Why did I say that? <laughs> Anybody have any others? Remember, you're in church. What? Any other, any other sins come to mind? Slandering. Murder, gossip, yep, we go on and on, right? The reality is every time we sin, it adds stain to our hearts 
that become hardened. And there's nothing we can do to remove that. And even if we did, our hearts would still be hardened. We, something has to change. Something has to take place in order for us to be cleansed of that. And that's what Jesus did for us. What he does for us is that he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And when we turn from our sin and turn to him, we receive forgiveness for that. And we receive cleansing for that. He was raised from the dead so that we could defeat death. We could have victory over death and have eternal life in him. But what he does is he removes the stain of sin along with everything that sin brings. Which removing a shell is a lot harder than it looks to, in case you are wondering. I'm building the anticipation. Are you on the edge of your seat? (laughs) Don't fall asleep on me now. There we go. We're getting there. But what we see, if I can keep from destroying the egg completely now. All right. What's that? No comments. All right. What we have... When we are left, aha, is something that's much softer. And had I not destroyed it, even smoother. What was once a hard shell, now we have something that's moldable, right? Something that's receptive. Our hearts are hardened by sin, but what he does, Jesus does, through forgiveness, he doesn't just... Remove an outer shell. And that's where this analogy falls short. He doesn't just open up something on the inside that's soft. He gives us a brand new heart that's soft. You can do something with this. I guess you could eat a shell, but this is useful. This can be used for other things. My heart, once it's forgiven, once I receive forgiveness, he gives me a brand new heart that's soft a brand new heart that's receptive to his word, soil that's fertile for the seed to be planted in, and once again can be useful. God created man and man chose to sin. Man was once without sin and had a relationship with God, but through sin that relationship was destroyed, severed. But if we allow God to forgive us if we seek him and receive the forgiveness he offers. He gives us a brand new heart and a brand new life that can be used for him and for his glory, but through which we can have a relationship with him. Through his salvation, through Jesus Christ, we can discover our purpose for being here. We can discover meaning and hope for life, but greatest of all, we receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, eternity with him in heaven. So I encourage you today, wherever you are, in this journey we call life, whatever you're dealing with, God wants you to experience his goodness and his mercy and his forgiveness. 
If you don't know him, he's inviting you into a relationship with him now through Christ. If you do know him, he's inviting you to be a part of his work for his kingdom and for his glory. Only you can determine what he's asking you to do because his plan for you is unique. It is special. The question is, will you receive his plan for your life? Will you obey his plan for your life and experience the glories of serving and knowing him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you We thank you that you came to earth, that you were willing to lower yourself. Jesus, you were willing to become a human being, to set aside some of your divine attributes, to become human, fully God, fully man, and live in this fallen world without sin and die a horrible death so that we could be saved, so that you could be glorified through our salvation. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who hasn't received you, that they would accept that invitation today. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who does know you, who is resisting your plan for their lives, who can't get out of their own thinking, their own way of doing things, to follow you in your plan for their lives. Lord, I pray that they would surrender to you right now in this moment, determined to obey you in all things, to experience your perfect and glorious plan for them. Father, just speak to our hearts in this moment and help us to respond in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?